pray. Father, thank you for your wonderful, wonderful, how great thou art. And we pray for each and every one of these today. Thank you for the safety, provision, and protection that you give. And uh, you don't hesitate. You're so great. And Father, I believe you've protected us even more than we would ever realize. And we give you praise for that. We thank you, Lord, today, as Darcy said, that you and your timing is beyond what we understand. Your ways are not our ways and your thoughts are not our thoughts. You're God, oh Lord. And we know, Lord, that you do things differently than what we do. And so we thank you. But we pray when this baby gets ready to come forth, we ask you that that baby would come forth healthy. And dear Lord, today you would just bring forth that baby in prosperity of the Lord. And also that you would bless Darcy. That dear Lord, as you would, she would just be aware of your presence and your peace. And also Jeremiah, dear Lord, as they go through this time. We pray for Connie and Ron. Pray for healing there, Lord. Ask healing for Karen. We pray today for uh, healing for Jim Nelson. We pray for complete healing for Carla. We pray for healing for Edward, dear Lord, in the name of Jesus. Thank you for providing. And Kendra testifies. And we pray today for favor for Joshua as he uh, has the teeth uh, dentist situation, but also for her provision, Kendra's provision and all the obstacles. Thank you, Lord for healing for Tony and Ray, uh, comfort for the Rogers family. We pray today for uh, Jacob, complete healing, complete healing for the Crook family, dear Lord. And pray for Mary Jo and your comfort, your grace, your favor, your peace. Thank you today we celebrate another year and Phyllis Matchett in the name of Jesus. Bless the family as they gather and pray for healing for Phil. Thank you, Lord, today that you're an awesome God and you heal and, Lord, you deliver, and uh, you've brought us into an intimate relationship with Jesus. So, Lord, we ask even now, those that were not spoken, that maybe uh, we would just give it and offer it up to you, but also, Lord, that you would speak to us in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Turn to 1 Corinthians 15. <clears throat> Two weeks will be the resurrection time. We, uh, we celebrate, thank the Lord for the resurrection. So I want to talk to you today, and I mentioned to you, if you would, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 17 through 22. And I mentioned that it would be theological, theological, but certainly applicable to our lives, and I pray it will be a great encouragement, what we're going to talk about today. Because what we're going to talk about today is, you live and you die, and then what happens? What happens beyond that? Okay, put on your thinking caps because we want to talk about that. We want to talk about it. And I pray every person here would know if they're not sure of the relationship with Jesus, they're not sure if they accepted Christ and that if you took your last breath right this moment, would you go to heaven? Oh, we want to nail it down. As the Spirit of the Lord knocks on the door of your heart, we want to make sure that you know the Lord Jesus. So, anybody got 1 Corinthians 15, verses 17 through 22. I know all of you have read before. Anybody that wants to read that has not read before, anybody, I just give everybody an opportunity, but really, it's wide open. But anybody would like to that has not read before, or would like to, because I'm going to get ready to call you out. Phyllis? <laughs> 1 Corinthians 15, verses 17 through 22. And with Christ, we now pray into a faith whose benefits 
our sins. Then they also which are fallen asleep in Christ are perished. If in this life only we have hope and praise, we are of all men most miserable. But now is Christ risen from the dead and become the first fruit of them that slept. For since by man came death, and by man came also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam will all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. Okay, thank you, thank you. Uh, there are several things. Many, what happens when you die? There are many views here. Some believe that there's just annihilation, that you just sort of disappear. You no longer exist or cease to exist. Some believe in reincarnation, that you come back in another person or, you know, the Hindus believe you come back into an animal and so forth. There are those who believe that. And then those who believe that certainly everybody's going to heaven. This is it. Do whatever I want to do and, and all and everything's fine. Everybody's going to heaven. But the Christian point of view actually is that there is a heaven and a hell. And the only way to heaven is by trusting in Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. Asking him to forgive you of your sins and to come into your life and be your personal Lord and Savior. Now, why do I believe the Christian view of things? Well, I'm born again. I'm saved. But I believe in the risen Savior. It's because Christianity has something that no other religion has, and that is a Savior who died and was resurrected to new and eternal life here. So it is because nobody but Jesus Christ has actually defeated death. Not Muhammad, not Joseph Smith, not Buddha, not Confucius. There's no other person that's ever defeated death and came back there from the grave. Nobody else. So I believe in Jesus because of what? The resurrection. And just like said here, if he was not resurrected, then our faith is in vain. We believe in the wrong stuff. And to be honest, God doesn't change and he's holy. And there has to be the payment for sin. If he had not sent Jesus, Jesus had not risen from the dead. He had, to, he had to die, he had to be buried, and he had to be resurrected from the grave. There's no other way. I believe because of the risen Savior here. And we believe in Jesus' teachings of heaven and hell through the Bible because he is supremely qualified, having defeated death, to tell us what comes after or how we can overcome this world and inherit eternal life here. And that's what it's all about because we're fastly approaching. We don't know the day or the hour that Jesus may break through the clouds and that's it. But we also know that obviously if we die, you know, I uh, was on the north side and I noticed, I said, uh-oh, because there was nothing but tail lights across the spance of 45. And I went, whoops, it's either shut down or there's been a, a major accident. I said, don't know how long I'm going to be in traffic. And so they were heading, everything, everything with the whole freeway was blocked off. And so I headed off onto the feeder road. And as I pulled up and went past the two cars that were in an accident, one was smashed to smithereens. It was crumpled up like I, I looked and I said, oh, I pray for the people that were in that accident. Those people were headed out. It really wasn't raining hard at that particular time, but since something happened, it was slick enough, obviously, that they, they crashed, and I pray that that person was, n was not obviously uh, injured that bad, but it, they had to have been because it was crumpled up in, into a, it was a medium-sized car, but it was just really tiny, 
after it had been crumpled up like it was. You do not know that time. But it's by the fact of His resurrection that showed that He is the true God here. And He has the power to overcome death and keep His promises. In 1 Corinthians 15, 1-11, it talks about that Jesus appeared there as a testimony to more than 500 people. He arose from the grave. Because without the resurrection, there is no hope. And we see here in the scripture that we, we read, without the hope of the resurrection, we have no hope of eternal life. Sins had to be paid for. And if there had been no resurrection, our sins would not have been paid for. And we would all be destined to hell. God's obviously planning who God is, being a holy God. All of it's been set in motion from eternity past. It had, will not change. And if Jesus had not have gone to the cross and died for our sins, we would be destined to hell. We had to have the forgiveness of sin. And there had to be, obviously, the sinless one to take the sins of the world upon them to die and to rise and, and be raised, to defeat death. Paul says, if there be no resurrection there, the dead are not raised in verse 32 of chapter 15. Let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die. A lot of people live that way, don't they? They live and so forth just like, hey, today I'm going to go for all the gusto I can. Everything I can do. I'm going to have a good time because there are no consequences here necessarily. And certainly it does not affect anything that I do and what my eternity certainly speaks of. But death in the Bible always speaks of separation. And there are two different types of separation with the second type having different parameters. I want to talk about it. First of all, the Bible speaks of physical death. Job 14 verse 10 says, But man dies and is laid low. He breathes his last and is no more. Physical death there. Now, physical separation is what we mourn as Christians. Remember here, our brother Jack, Johnson went home to be with the Lord. And we, we mourn in his absence in our presence, uh, our brother Fred, and those who have passed on in this congregation. And we miss them and all. And we mourn his physical presence. For a Christian, this is like leaving those you love for extended periods of time. And we know the physical death that's there, certainly. So this is one of the ways that the Bible speaks of death in terms of, of our physical death. We know you know, we'll all die. It says that we're destined to die, and, and then after that, the judgment. So in that. So the second thing we're talking about here, our type of death, is the spiritual death. Spiritual death brings spiritual separation from God. And this is the primary type of death spoken of in Genesis chapter 2. And it says, And the Lord God commanded the man, You're free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat of it, you will surely die. When Adam and Eve ate of the fruit, they didn't die physically, although it put into motion physical death because of sin. But they did what they did at that particular moment in time, they died spiritually. They were separated from God because of their sin. Remember, they had been naked, no shame, no nothing and all and so forth. And all of a sudden, when they sinned, they realized they were naked. You know, Sin entered in. And remember... Uh, Adam hid from God, and, and, and God says, where are you, Adam? He was hiding, trying to hide from God. A lot of people try to hide from God. A lot of people try to, try to get away, you know, because why? Even subconsciously, we do, because sin separates us from God. 
And until we're saved, until we're born again, we actually are spiritually dead. We are enemies of the Lord. He's always there beckoning us, but He is a holy God. We don't understand the, the purity and the holiness of God and what it took when He sent Jesus Christ in the world to die for our sins. And obviously sin had brought about spiritual death and they were separated from, from God. This death can be overcome today because of Jesus' death and resurrection when we trust Him as our Savior we go from spiritually dead to spiritually alive. Ephesians chapter 2 says, But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace that you have been saved, by grace. So spiritual death is another way that the Bible speaks of death here. The Bible also speaks about the spiritual death with a different parameter there of eternal death. And sometimes it's called the second death. We see this in Revelation chapter 20. It says, And I saw the dead, the physically dead, great and small, standing before the throne. The sea gave up the dead that were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them. And each person was judged according to what he had done. And then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. Being thrown into the lake of fire is hell, and his eternal separation from God. And this type of eternal death is also what's spoken of there is eternal punishment, Matthew chapter 25. And then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. If we do not receive Jesus Christ as our Savior before our physical death, in other words, if we are still spiritually dead when we physically die, we will face eternal death. Now, standing at the, as a hospice chaplain, standing at the bedside of many people, and I've shared this with you before, many would say, go, have they received Jesus Christ in their hearts? Are they saved? Do they know that? Now, my, my uh, loved one, they never, uh, they never uh, in any way acknowledged God. I, we don't know anything. Of course, God's the only one that knows our hearts. But according to the family who's closest to this person, they would say no. But look how peaceful they look, obviously, that is, uh, that is not right. You may be peaceful because you're unresponsive. You may be peaceful because you're in a comatose state. doesn't have to be, but look how peaceful. You'll notice a lot of people will say, oh, they died real peacefully. Well, did they must have known Jesus? Well, no, I, they, never, they never darkened the church's door, and the church doesn't say anything. But that is obviously something that happens when you're saved. You want to serve the Lord, obviously fellowship with other believers and so forth. But, and they never talked about Jesus. Did they ever, ever in any way acknowledge Jesus uh, as their Lord and Savior? No, we never did. Never did. But, but they're, they're, they're okay. And they'll reach for everything in the world. And they'll ask me questions. I want to tell you, over the years, ask me questions. Because they wanted the assurance that their loved one was in heaven. And many of them would come back and say, you know, I am deeply disturbed and my uh, uh, conviction here and I, I can't sleep at night and I go, what's wrong? Well, I don't know where, where my loved one is. I don't know where they are. And that's what happens when you're not spiritually born again. You've never accepted Christ. You're separated from God. And loved ones down deep, the Bible says, and I think it's Ecclesiastes, that he said eternity in all of our hearts is something down there. It's a God-shaped void in your heart and my life. And it was not filled with God. I want to tell you, it could be filled with everything in this world, but it'll never give you the ultimate peace. Never give you the ultimate peace. In Matthew 25, then they'll go away to eternal punishment, the righteous to eternal life. 
If we don't receive Christ as our Savior before our physical death, we will face that eternal death. If we are spiritually alive when we physically die, we will not face eternal death. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. We're physically, obviously, when we're spiritually alive, when we physically die, we will not face eternal death. So those are two types of death with two aspects of spiritual death that are spoken of in the Bible. And track with me if you would, please. All of those deaths are the result of sin. Someone could intervene, obviously, but it had to be the perfect Lamb of God, the perfect sacrifice, God's own Son, God Himself. Jesus is God. Amen. And so we see God did intervene. And Christ did die on the cross and tasted death so we might not have to. Hebrews 2 says, But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels, now crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. On that cross, Jesus not only suffered a physical death, but for the first time ever, Jesus, the Son of God, suffered separation from the Father and tasted spiritual death for it. He who had no sin became sin for us. He had to do it. And he said, no man takes my life. I lay it down voluntarily. I lay down my life for, for all of mankind and all who will believe. And so, yes, the physical pain that he suffered was awful, but, awful, but the spiritual death he suffered was even far worse. Matthew 27. From the sixth hour until the ninth hour of darkness came over all the land. About the ninth hour, Jesus cried, cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, Sabastiana, and means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? In those hours, Jesus tasted spiritual death when the words of Paul in 2 Corinthians 5 says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us. The father placed our sin upon his son and then turned his back on him because he can't look upon sin. That we might have a way to be with him. Let me tell you, you can't say that God doesn't love you. God loves us. He loves us beyond any measure of what we could ever imagine. He loves us. But without that payment, without suffering that death, we would have no hope of eternal life. We'd have no hope of salvation. We'd have no hope of, of res, res, for resurrection. We wouldn't have any hope at all because Jesus' death paid the price for our sins. And Jesus' resurrection proves that his payment for our sins was accepted by the Father. He arose on the third day. Up from the grave he arose. Yes, indeed. With a mighty triumph o'er his foes. Jesus rose from the grave. And Jesus' resurrection is essential for our resurrection also. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You're still in your sins. Now, being a spiritually alive, we have hope, don't we? We know that there's a way to eternal life because the one who died and rose again says there is. John 3, 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever shall believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And John chapter 6, For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. In 1 John, he who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son does not have life. Real simple, isn't it? Jesus has promised that if we trust him for our salvation, we'll have eternal life. And we'll no longer have this to be spiritually dead or face eternal death. And when we believe in him, we're made alive in Christ. Praise the Lord. 
there's still physical death, but we've still faced, uh, obviously, the physical death. Before Christ's resurrection and sense, people still die physically and will. In fact, everyone dies physically, believers and unbeliever. Okay. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 15, the last enemy to be destroyed is death. Physical death is the last thing that Christ will destroy before he makes all things new, including a new heaven and a new earth. Well, in that case, there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. What happens to people when they die if this new heaven and this new earth are not made yet? Now, this is it. Listen to this. You want to be encouraged. Before Jesus' resurrection, there was a place called Hades or Sheol, where all of those who died went. Now, there are two parts in Hades. In Luke chapter 16, if you remember the story, verse 22 here, we had the rich man and a poor beggar named Lazarus. And what happened immediately upon their death? Now, this is before the resurrection. In verse 22, the time came when the beggar died and the angels carried him to Abraham's bosom or side, which means kind of heaven, word for heaven. The rich man also died and was buried. And in hell or Hades, where he was in torment, he looked up and he saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. So he called to him, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I am in agony in this fire. But Abraham said, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things while Lazarus received bad things, but now he is comforted here and you are in agony. And besides all this, between us and you our great chasm has been fixed so that those who want to go from here to you cannot, nor can anyone cross over from there to us. Got it? Got the picture? The rich man's over here. Lazarus is here. rich man, he didn't pay attention to God's what's happened. He went to Hades, hell. The the poor man, Lazarus, he suffered and all, evidently had faith in God. He was placed over here, and it said that he was comforted. The rich man was in agony. In fact, he said, you know, if you'll just send somebody to dip their finger in the water and touch it to my tongue, because I am in agony here. The fire is so hot here. Weeping and gnashing of teeth. All these things in regards to that. Before Jesus' resurrection, the unfaithful dead went to a place of torment in Hades. Luke 16. In hell, Hades, where he was in torment. And those who did not have faith in the Lord of the universe and the salvation that he would bring went to the place of torment in Hades. And this is a place of conscious existence where they're still feeling. Notice that the rich man wanted to cool his tongue. So there is a place. They, were in, they had a consciousness and they were existing at that time in that place of torment. Lazarus in the place of comfort. And this is not the place where we want to go, church. This is not the place we want to be. And we don't have to be there because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Now also, before Jesus' resurrection, the faithful dead went to a place of comfort in Hades. 
Look at what he says in verse chapter 16, verse 25. And Abraham replied, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things while Lazarus received bad things. But now he is comforted here and you're in agony. This is a good place. A place where the righteous did that of the Old Testament before Jesus' resurrection, before the time there, would go and they would be comforted. And why do these Old Testament pre-resurrection saints not go to heaven? Why were they not with the Lord? It's because their sin had not been atoned for. It had only been passed over. Romans chapter 3, it says, But now righteousness from God, apart from law, has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ, all who believe. There's no difference, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Him as a sacrifice of atonement through faith in His blood. He did this to demonstrate His justice because in His forbearance He had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. God, through the sacrificial system, you know, the killing of the bulls and the goats and all that, the sacrificial system did not forgive the sins of those of faith before the time of Christ, but he merely passed over them. And he looked ahead to the salvation that he would provide. But in the meantime, they could still not be in his presence because of their sin. Remember, God is a holy God. So they were in paradise or Abraham's bosom or place of comfort. He took care of them. Because they looked forward to what God would do through the atonement, the perfect sacrifice. Job said, you know, I know that my Redeemer liveth and He will stand with me here on this earth. Job looked forward to the cross and we look back to the cross. That's why the cross is so important. That's why the shedding of blood is so important. Now, try to track with me. I know we're getting heavily theological. and may be a little bit of variances here, but I want to share with you because these things are important, I believe. Very important to understand this. That was before the resurrection. What has changed now that Jesus has tasted death for us all and he's been paid for our sins and resurrected from the dead? Well, after Jesus' resurrection. After, okay? The unfaithful dead go to a place of torment in Hades. Nothing has changed for the unrighteous, those who did not. They go to a place of torment in Hades. They still go to the place of conscious torment awaiting the final judgment at the end of Christ's millennial reign when these unbelievers will be reunited with their bodies and thrown into the lake of fire. That's the second death, isn't it? Okay? They died physically. Here they went into torment. Those who did not look forward, did not have faith. You know, Abraham had faith in God and God credited it to him. In other words, he, he put it on his, uh, obviously, his bank account, so to speak, as righteousness, okay? He looked forward, knew that he would provide there, okay? The sad part of this is that it doesn't have to be this way. 1 Timothy 2.4 tells us that God wants all men to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. The Father's desire is that people would receive Him and come to a relationship with Him. Now, obviously, He placed the sin of the whole world upon the shoulders of His Son. And during that time, He, he cried out, Why have you forsaken me? 
after Jesus' resurrection. The faithful dead go to be with the Lord in heaven. That's good news. You saved. This is good news. 2 Corinthians 5. We're always confident and know that as long as we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. We live by faith, not by sight. We're confident, I say, and would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. Absent from the body, present with the Lord. I do not believe in soul sleep. Okay? There are Christians who believe in soul sleep at some time. In other words, you just sleep until that time. I do not believe that. I believe when this is clear, when Paul said that we're absent from the body, we're one place or the other, or we're home with the Lord. I believe we go into the presence of the Lord immediately when you take your last breath. That has been after the resurrection. And because of the resurrection of Jesus, the proof that our sins are now paid for, the place of comfort in Hades has been emptied, and now the pre-resurrection saints, as well as those who die now, are with the Lord. Jesus, when he died, from the time he was nailed to the cross until he arose, went to paradise, portion of Hades, the place of comfort between his death and the resurrection. He went there to take the old faithful Old Testament saints to be with him to heaven to proclaim. And he spoke. And remember, when he went there, the two places, one was a comforting place, the other was where the rich man was. He was in agony. They saw, I believe, they saw him there. And he preached victory, that he had victory over the grave during that time. And he took the Old Testament saints out of paradise and took them to heaven after he was getting ready. He was going to be raised from the dead. The chasm that there, the fix between the faithful and the unfaithful. Does all this make sense? Getting heavy, getting deep, aren't we? <laughs> we'll get down, we're going to narrow it down in just a moment. Make it real simple. Always wonder, I don't believe in annihilation. You know, I had a conversation with a man. It's been some time ago. But he gave me a book on that, what he felt, I guess, justified annihilation. That you just, after a certain length of time, you know, it's all non-existent. So you don't have that conscious feeling. I don't see anything in the Bible that talks about that. I'm real simple-minded. I don't believe God makes the gospel hard. A little child can understand it. We study to show ourselves approved. But we know, need to know that God is not trying to trick us. He's not trying to uh, slam dunk us, so to speak, by complicating things and all this. We take the word of God just as, as the word of God, the truth. And these things are true. First Peter chapter 3, For Christ died for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, that, but made alive by the Spirit, through whom also he went and preached to the spirits in prison. Now, when a believer in Jesus Christ dies, they're immediately with the Lord in heaven. They are there in a conscious state of not only comfort, but of being in the presence of the Lord, in the presence of glory, amen, in the presence of, of the one who gave himself for us. That's where we go, church. Isn't that good news? If you're saved today, you don't have to worry about all this other stuff. Yes, we need to know these things because we need to see a sense of urgency for those who don't know Jesus Christ. 
There's no other way to God except through Jesus Christ. And man has come up with all these things over the years, including things that look pretty good. You know, they look like, hey, I mean, look, they're, they're, serving, they're serving God. And, and they believe in God. I'm talking about Jesus. Yes, they believe in God. But I'm talking about Jesus, our Savior, the lover of our souls. God is our portion. And we worship Him. He is worthy. Paul was once caught up into heaven. He says, being in heaven with Christ is far better than being on this earth. <laughs> He's caught up. He said, boy, I want to go back there, okay? Because he says in Philippians 1, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet, what shall I choose? I don't know. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. And that's not all. There's more to look forward to. You see, while his resurrection has made it possible for us to be with the Lord, that it's not, we're not completely, we're not home in that sense. Yes, we're home, but it's going to get even better. Those who are in heaven now have not yet received their glorified bodies. And at the end of the age, God will make a new heaven and a new earth where we will live in the way God has originally designed us to be. Revelation 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven, the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, now the dwelling of God is with men and he'll live with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes for there'll be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things have passed away. Isn't that a shout hallelujah? Amen. No more death. No more pain. No more of those things. That new Jerusalem, when he comes down, it's going to get even better. And he was seated on the throne saying, I am making everything new. And then he said, write this down for these words are trustworthy and true. He says, anybody obviously that reads the book of Revelation will be blessed. Just read the book of Revelation. That's by faith. I believe you'll be blessed. You say, well, I can't understand all the symbolism. None, none of us do. But God's Spirit can interpret it for you. Just read it, obviously. I believe that, and whereas in heaven, and this is just me, I'm not dogmatic about this, that people in heaven have physical properties. They have not gotten their new bodies yet. Some, their differences, Lutzer and all of them, different theologians, they believe that obviously a temporary body and so forth, but I believe we will recognize other people while we're there. And I say this is because people are still recognizable in heaven. The rich man recognized Lazarus, remember? People appear to be dressed, indicating uh, physical likeness there. Elders were dressed in white and had crowns on their head, Revelation chapter 4. And so I believe we'll know people. I believe you'll know your mama and your daddy. They've gone on you. Whoever else has gone on, family members have gone to heaven. I believe you'll know them while we're there. I don't know how they communicate. I won't share personal experiences and also experiences I've heard people say as they've uh, certainly approached this. People that I believe is, are, they're very credible, credible in what they experience. But yet, I believe they'll be recognizable according to what the Bible says here. Now, so it appears that some physical type of appearance to these saints who have died, 
But when we get our glorified bodies, when we're reunited with this body that is decaying and dying, then we will know and have a body like Jesus has now. Okay? Like Jesus. Bodies are only seeds. These bodies, they have to come to a point they must die. We know Matthew 15, 35, 37. We talk, we won't talk, but share it. We have to die. And if there is a natural body, there's also a spiritual body. And just as we've been born the likeness of the earthly man, so shall we bear the likeness of the man from heaven. And goes on to say, I declare to you, brothers, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye. At the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and will be changed. And when the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So when will those who have died in Christ receive their new glorified bodies that are like Jesus' body? At Jesus' rapture of the church. The faithful dead will receive their glorified bodies. Amen. (laughs) Can you wait for that? (laughs) All right. Okay, I just can't wait. What do you think? Do you think you'll recognize me? Nobody. I heard somebody tell me the other day. They said, Jim, you, I, I had to look at you. I saw you at a distance, and, and he, he, he was somebody who didn't know me, and uh, I was visiting, and he said, you look like uh, my brother, and you, my brother looks just like you. And I said, oh, my goodness, how am I going to reply to this? You know? <laughs> well, I'm going to be good looking in heaven. Okay? I'm going to have hair. Um, I have a lot of hair. That's what I've always wanted, some hair. We're going to get a glorified body, church. We're going to have a beautiful body. I mean, God's got it right like Jesus. And we're going to live with Him in His presence, His glory, from now throughout eternity. 1 Corinthians Thessalonians 4. Brothers, we don't want you to be ignorant about those who fall asleep or to grieve like the rest of men who have no hope. We believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in Him. According to the Lord's own word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left till the coming of the Lord, will certainly not perceive those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord Himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel. And when the trumpet call of God and the dead in Christ will rise first, and after that... We who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage each other with these words. Obviously, we need to encourage one another knowing that Jesus Christ loves us, loves us beyond measure. And we will be able to be in his presence always. We'll be free of pain and suffering and we'll be full of joy like we've never known. Joy that we can't even imagine. You no longer have to walk around in this life spiritually dead. You can be alive in Christ. If you haven't trusted him for your salvation, 
Why not today? Why not give your heart and life to Jesus today? If you're not sure of your salvation, if you're not real sure that, I'm not real sure, maybe as a child you gave your heart to Him, you can do that. You can just tell Him. Lord Jesus, I believe that You're the Savior of the world. I believe You died for my sins. Personally, You went to Calvary for me. And I want you and ask You right now to come in and forgive me of my sins and to come in my life and be my Lord and my Savior. If that's you today, today may be the day that you invite Jesus into your life, to come into your life. You know, the Bible says in Mark chapter 12, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And then what does he say? Love your neighbor as yourself. Boy, I need the Holy Spirit's power to do that, don't you? I don't do that very well. But that's what I ask for. And I believe God does that because you see, loving God will then give you the power to love other people. If you don't love God, you're probably not going to love people. You may say you do. But you won't love them the way the scriptures talk about. Love the Lord, your God. You see, I believe we're, we're actually moving into a time where, I mean, we could see Jesus come back. He could come back at any time. I don't know the time. If you're not saved, today is the day. But if you're saved and you say, I, I want to know you in this way. I want to know this theological lesson, real brief this morning, and understanding that I go to be in your presence and one day I'll get my glorified body. That right there ought to be an encouragement for you and for me. And that is encouragement for me. But along the way, until that time comes, we're to love the Lord our God with all our mind, soul, strength, power the totality of our being and we're to love other people oh it's easy to obviously be cut off in traffic and raise your fist or maybe something come out of your mouth that you wish you said Lord forgive me for that it's real easy maybe when somebody betrays you or maybe somebody disappoints you in life somebody somehow comes along and and maybe uh, they just don't act the way you Thought they should act or respond the way that you should respond. Or maybe they spoke a word that cut you right to the core of your being. What's the Bible say? You're to love your enemies. You're to love them. Because love is above everything. Love the Lord your God your heart, with all your mind and strength. If you look at the Song of Solomon... Actually, I believe it is a picture of the bride and the bridegroom. I know it is in the, the, obviously between husband and wife, but I believe it's a spiritual picture of the church. If you look at it from that standpoint, some good interpretations in that regard. And actually what it's saying is, Jesus, you know, he just loves us and he wants to somehow stir in our hearts an aching desire in our hearts for him to be with him. Because, see, we're his bride. And he's coming back for a bride without spot, wrinkle, or blemish, didn't he? The Bible says so. He's coming back for that bride. And our hearts should ache for him. But what happens is our, our, our hearts ache for everything except for him. Because sometimes we look away. And you read the book of Song of Solomon and you look at their Song of Songs. And you see... Is that 
Our God aches for us. Jesus aches for us. His heart. He's the lover of our souls. And understand his love for us. You see, because the Bible says that basically we love because what? He first loved us. We don't love him. There was nothing in us to love him. But because we know he loves us and because we have a desire to know him and as we walk with him and we we grow in that love, we know in that we'll understand. We'll, we'll want to serve him more and we'll want to serve our neighbors more and those around us that maybe we didn't exactly like. You remember on the Emmaus Road, the two men were walking with Jesus and they didn't recognize him? Remember what they got back? They came back and said, didn't our hearts ache? Didn't our hearts just throb when he was speaking to us? You know what Emmaus means? In earnest longing. Longing for the Lord. Is that where we are today? God wants to reveal that love to us. He revealed it when he sent Jesus. But he wants to bring the church and bring back a a snap in our step. He wants us to again instill us with that joy down deep that can't be taken away by the circumstances of this world. And maybe some of us in here may have lost that joy. Because our love affair with Jesus has sort of just been waned cold. And now what do we do? We sort of act more like the world does than the world acts. And we need to know that God wants to rekindle those embers in our hearts and love affair with Him. And what we do is ask Him, Lord, I don't love you. I know your word says this, but I want to love you with all my heart, mind, soul, and strength. Because I want to know God. Because I want to love you in the same way. So reveal your love in my life. And I believe God will do that. And I believe that something that's too far-fetched, I believe God wants to do that. Because He knows. He started this, didn't He? Now he wants that for our lives this day. But to take these where people go when they die, take it to heart. Because there are people leaving me. I don't know how many people far park will bury this next week. Um, east out here on 45. The crowd are down How many? Wow. Some may know Jesus, some may not. But you and I know the truth now, don't we? So we're responsible for that truth. I'm accountable for what I say and how I live my life. I haven't always lived it up for what God would want. And I've asked the Lord to forgive me and repent of those things. But I don't want to stand before the Lord and not hear those words, well done, my good and faithful servant, come into your inheritance. I don't want to hear that. I mean, I do want to hear it. I don't want to hear that he doesn't say anything. I want to hear what Jesus says to me when I get ready to walk in to my eternal glory, into his presence. Because when you take your last breath, you go into the presence of the Lord. You kind of understand some of the Old Testament things, the sacrificial system did not, did not bring forgiveness. 
Jesus they were looking forward to Redeemer that God would send. They didn't understand it. But they knew that God would provide salvation. And he did. And his name is Jesus. Let's pray again. Father, we thank you for your word, your truth. We pray our lives will line up with your word. Forgive me, Lord. Forgive us. We've been distracted. We've been busy. We've wasted time. We've wasted energy on things that are just temporary. But help us to keep our eyes on those things that are unseen, because those things that are unseen are eternal. And help, our li- help us to live with the main thing, that is the love of the Lord our God with our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love our neighbors, ourselves. Help us to stay focused on that. And ever how you have to adjust our lives to bring us to that, Lord, I ask that you do it by your Spirit's power. Thank you for your word and truth. And thank you for Jesus sending him. Thank you that he rose from the grave. Hallelujah. He is risen. He's resurrected. And the Bible says he's, he's seated at the right hand of the Father, ever making intercession for us. And dear God, today, if there be anyone here who's not received Christ, today would be the day of salvation. Today would be the day. But those who have received Christ and have been saved, been born again, we ask you today that maybe, dear Lord, just bring revival to our hearts, oh God. Bring revival to Lighthouse Fellowship, to all of us, oh Lord. And we one day will stand in your presence. And one day we'll be like him. By grace you've been saved, yes, but we'll be given an account of, not for salvation, but how we obviously reached out. How we glorify your holy name. So come and touch us, dear Lord, this day. And your mighty power change us, dear Lord. Help us to understand the brevity of life and how quickly things are moving. We praise you and we glorify your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.